0: Hello. It's another great day in the Lord. This is Pastor Mike Letterman, preaching on WXRQ Radio. Just a couple of small housekeeping items. If during the course of today's lesson you have any questions or comments, please send them directly to our email. That's ministry at christ-lives.org, M-I-N-I-S-T-R-Y at christ, C-H-R-I-S-T, dash, lives.org if you make a decision for Jesus today or if you need prayer please send an email to that same address if you'd like me to call you please include your phone number we consider it an honor and a privilege to pray for you let's get started now this beautiful weekend brought back memories of growing up in East Tennessee as a boy you know we were a rural community or a country as most of us said we didn't have a lot of money but we had a lot of love. There were plenty of fields with ponds. and If you had a good relationship with the owners, maybe by helping them bale hay during the summer, they would let you fish in their ponds. See, that's how things were back then. Neighbors helped each other. When the days got too hot and the fish stopped biting, we were obliged to do the things that boys do. Nothing terrible, maybe a little mischievous. We had water and sandstone rocks that surrounded the pond. It's a truly perfect combination for any young boy. So one thing would lead to another, and before long, we were tossing small rocks into the pond, perhaps tossing them toward some unhappy turtle that appeared on the scene and quickly left. We would then watch and count the ripples that would flow outward from the entry point of the pebble. We were truly amazed at how one pebble could make such huge ripples. It was a lot of fun. We took turns counting the ripples to see who would make the most impact. Then at night, when we camped out, we'd return to our ponds with a frog gig and some flashlights. You see, we didn't have smartphones, Xbox, or PlayStation. We didn't have much on the TV. We only had two channels. Yeah, I know some of you are thinking, wow, this guy really had a boring life. We really didn't. We had a great life. You know, those ripples in the pond reminded me of a situation that occurred in Samuel chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, turn there now. I'll give you a moment. Okay, I know what some of you may be thinking. We've heard about David and Bathsheba so many times, we know the story. But do you know or have you discerned the story within the story? That's the wonderful thing about the Word of God. No matter how often you read something, It can speak to you differently depending on your circumstances. Now, allow me to set the stage for you. I use the NIV interpretation. Your Bible may read a little differently, but it should be close. In verse one, the writer says, in the spring, at the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. I want you to look at this because this is already a little strange. You see, David had already been commanded by God to personally lead his men into this battle. David was a great leader and through the years had become very adept with military strategy and he was a seasoned general. Let's break this down. Point one, in the spring of the time when kings go off to war. You see, in this part of the world, wars were not normally fought during the winter months because the rains and the cold weather made travel and campaigning difficult. Finding resumed in the spring. This is the first sin mentioned in this chapter. David disobeyed God. I want you to lean into this, because this is the pebble thrown into the pond of life. Let's continue. David sent Joab, but David remained at Jerusalem. David should have been at the battle, but he stayed behind. In 2 Samuel 10, the writer shows that Joab and the army of mighty men were preserved against the Syrians and the Ammonites. But they didn't win a decisive victory. That victory didn't come until David led the battle at the end of 2 Samuel 10. You see, God had told David through custom and experience, you need to be at the battle. But David remained in Jerusalem. David disobeyed God. Let's look on. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. Hmm. See, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof. I want you to look at the Hebrew form of the word walked in this situation, suggests that it wasn't simple walking. David paced back and forth on the roof. He couldn't sleep. and He was uneasy. Maybe he was uneasy because he wasn't where God wanted him to be. He saw a woman bathing. I want you to understand, David's sin was not in seeing Bathsheba. It was unlikely that he expected or planned to see her. David's sin was in choosing to keep his eyes on an alluring image before him. After the sight came to him. See, Christians, men especially, must learn to never let their eyes or their mind rest on alluring images except for what God has given to them in marriage. Our eyes must not remain on alluring images that come into sight. You know, David had many wives, but they didn't satisfy his lust. That's because you can't satisfy lusts of the flesh, they are primarily rebellious assertions of self. It wasn't so much that David wanted Bathsheba, it was that he would not be satisfied with what God had already given him. There's another lesson there. The principle will be illustrated in a very exaggerated way in the life of Solomon, David's son. You see, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. David and Solomon show us that if one woman isn't enough, a thousand women aren't enough. Now the woman was very beautiful to behold. Bathsheba's great beauty made the sight tempting. The real strength of temptation often does not lie in the quality of the tempting object, but in the state of heart and mind of the one being tempted. See, David was carefully prepared to fail at this very point. Even so, this temptation was not too strong for David, no matter how beautiful she was. Another example, see, Joseph was more severely tempted to commit sexual immorality than David was here, but he fled from that temptation. David looked at Bathsheba and said beauty, but God saw this as ugly. The hoped-for pleasures of sin deceive us like the bait hides the hook. We must call it what God calls it, sin. You see, we want to say affair, but God says adultery. We want to say love, but God says lust. We want to say sexy, but God says sin. We want to say romantic, but God says ruin. We want to say destiny, but God says destruction. See, David committed adultery in his heart with her up on the roof. Now he knew that he had an opportunity to commit adultery in practice. See, adultery in the heart and mind is bad. Adultery in practice is far worse. David should have received the news of the woman's identity as a warning. He learned that this woman was related to men who were close to him. In taking Bathsheba, David not only sinned against God, he also sinned against Uriah, Eliam, and Hidophel. Each man was close and important to David. Wow. Well, David had just committed another sin, the sin of lust. She was a beautiful woman. He saw her, and he wanted her. He was the king, and he was used to getting what he wanted. In Matthew five twenty-seven through 28 Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone... Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. David had already committed adultery with her and not yet laid a single finger on the woman. Another sin. David disobeyed God and stayed away from the battle. The writer continues, She came into him and he slept with her. I want you to understand, David is in real trouble now. You see, not only disobeyed God by not going to war, He also mentally and physically committed adultery with another man's wife. This is a big deal under the old law. King or not, if his sin were discovered, he could have been stoned to death. And he's the king. There's another lesson here. Even kings and rulers must bend to the will of God or suffer the consequences. But that's another lesson. So let's take another look at Bathsheba. You see, her body was obviously revealed on top of the house below that of the palace. Now, I've heard different ministers preach on this part of the word and read commentaries on their story. Some say she knew what she was doing when she was revealed on the roof washing as part of her monthly purification. I don't know if she deliberately sought King David's attention. The Bible doesn't say, and since it doesn't say, I suspect she did not. I mean, let's face it. How would she know when the king might go to the roof of his palace? I will say for her, there likely wasn't any other place where she could be nude and bathe other than the roof because of the way the homes were constructed. You see, Palestinian homes in the Middle East are often still built the same way now as they were at this time. The lower or ground level was filled with straw and often held a manger for the animals to eat. Think of the birth of Christ. The upper room, think about the location Jesus chose for the Lord's Supper. The upper room was where the family slept and ate. The roof was often a place used for bathing, where the individual had some degree of privacy. The Bible says Bathsheba came into him and he slept with her. It doesn't know if she put up a fight, but David was the king and he held the power of life and death. The Bible doesn't say, so I'm not going to speculate much further. I suspect she had to allow the act or potentially suffer the wrath of the king. The Bible goes on to say that following the act, Bathsheba returned home. Then, in verse 5, the Bible says, The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. Now, we begin to see the consequences of David's last sin. Let's face it. You can hide a pregnancy for a short period of time, but it does begin to reveal itself. See, David now has another problem. Uriah, her husband, was fighting on the battlefield, demonstrating his loyalty to the king and to Israel, and had not been home to be with his wife. Let's read on. So David sent this word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his own house. Hmm. You see, Uriah was obviously a man of high integrity. He had just come off the battlefield. David hoped that he would take advantage of that situation and spend some private time with his wife, especially after being on the battlefield for so long. Still, Uriah refused to leave and slept on a mat outside the servants' quarters. In verse 12, David even went so far as to share a meal with him and got him drunk, once again hoping he would go home. Uriah refused to enjoy his time at home, while his countrymen were still fighting and could not have the same experience he did. Now, David had exhausted every attempt to force Uriah to return home and share a private time with his wife. Obviously, he was hoping Uriah would do so and Bathsheba's pregnancy by the king would be covered. It did not happen. David had to do something to cover his sin and that of Bathsheba. He decided to commit murder. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Uriah's murder was now complete. When Bathsheba had completed her period of mourning, David had her brought to the palace and he married her. She bore him a son. Now David's series of sins is not yet complete. We see in 2 Samuel chapter 12 where God sent Nathan to David with the story of a poor man who had only a small ewe he bought for himself and his children. The little ewe ate scraps from the man's table. The rich man that had many sheep, took the poor man's pet and had it slaughtered for a traveler. David became very angry and said, the man that did this must die. God convicted David through Nathan who declared, you are the man. God was angry. Nathan then told David of all the things that God was going to do him, do to him because of his sin. It's a long list. You see, David's state of his heart in the intervening year is also reflected in Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. There he says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You see, Psalm 32 shows that David was under intense conviction during this time and all the joy in his life had evaporated away. David knew the stress and agony of living a double, false life. He found no relief until he repented and got right with God again. The better the man, the dearer the price he pays for a short season of sinful pleasure. So here's one of the great points in this story. David repented and admitted he had sinned against the Lord. God forgave him, and took away his sin. God also took away most of David's punishment. However, David had taken an innocent life. Now another innocent, a true innocent would die because of the sins of David and Bathsheba. Their first child became ill as Nathan had prophesied and it died. 2nd Samuel 12:15 tells us after Nathan had gone home The Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had borne to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. The child died. When David found out the child had passed away, what was the first thing he did? You see, verse twenty tells us Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request they served him food, and he ate. You see, David accepted God's judgment and went to the house of the Lord and worshiped. He was heartbroken, and but accepted the judgment that God had meted out to him. This is one of the reasons why David was a man after God's own heart. He wasn't perfect. He sinned. But when he did, he confessed his sin before the Lord and accepted whatever God laid out before him as his punishment. So, to summarize, David disobeyed God by staying in his palace while his men were forced to fight. Here's the pebble that was tossed into the pond of life. Ripple 1 David saw Bathsheba bathing, and committed adultery with her in his heart. Ripple 2 David sent messengers to bring Bathsheba to him, including others in his conspiracy. Ripple 3 David committed a physical act of adultery with a married woman, an act that could have cost both their lives under the old law, putting the life of the injured party in danger. Ripple 4. David forced Joab to place Uriah in a position where he would be killed. By doing this, David committed premeditated murder. Ripple 5. David made Joab an accessory to a murder, forcing Joab to sin. Wow. Ripple 6. David's actions later caused the death of a complete innocent as judgment for his sin, a dead baby. Ripple 7. I want you to understand that there would be further ripples in this pond of life that would occur because of David's sin. These are long-reaching. They would affect the entire kingdom of Israel for a long time to come. These are discussed in later chapters. But I want you to understand that this one sin of disobeying God and these other events that followed caused more and more sins to follow because of what David did. For example, David's daughter would be raped by David's son, Ripple 8. One son was murdered by another son following his father's footsteps. Ripple 9. A civil war was led by one of his sons. Ripple 10. A son who imitates David's lack of self-control, leading him and much of Israel away from God. Ripple number 11. Wow. Do you see how one small pebble tossed into the pond of life, caused ripples of sin that became greater and greater. You see, in David's case, it all started with disobeying God, whether by laziness or design, and the ripples of sin continued as he brought others into his sin until two people died and and an entire nation was destroyed. You see, that's another ripple of sin. Often one sin leads to another, and another, and another, until there are so many it becomes difficult to stop. Quite often our initial sin affects other people and causes them to sin, and we're the ones that initiate their actions. We try to retreat and hide it from God. You see, God's everywhere. He already knows. We've been trying to hide our sins from God since Adam and Eve first sinned. You see, David was in that terrible place where he had too much sin in him to be happy in God. But he had too much of God in him to be happy in sin. That's a terrible paradox. Because David was a man after God's own heart, God drew David to repentance and restoration. Hmm. Well, there's a great need for us to confess our sins to God and repent. There's often a great delay in making it. It was so in David's case. I understand perhaps due to his human nature, he might not have gone straight away from sin to confession. For you see, the sin prevented the confession. The sin blinded his eyes and hardened his conscience, which affected David's entire spiritual nature. You see, God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. All we must do is accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. I want you to understand that just believing is not enough. The Bible says that even the devils believe and tremble. Understand that the Greek word used here, tremble, doesn't mean just to shiver. It means uncontrollable shaking from fear. You see, there's nothing you can do to earn salvation. Works won't do it. Wealth won't do it. And Ephesians 2 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace that you've been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, none of us are worthy of one drop of Christ's precious blood. Salvation is a gift. You think your sins are so great the blood of Jesus cannot cover them? Do you feel like you have a burden on your heart? Have you accepted Christ? Have you? So. Do you think that your sins are that great? Maybe you're already a Christian. And like David, you're lost in sin and you feel there's no way out. How long has it been since you talked to God? See, God is listening. If you feel there's an emptiness in your life, please allow Jesus to fill that emptiness. If you feel your sin is so great and there's no hope, my prayer is that you will accept the gift of Christ and find forgiveness and peace. If there are any among you that feel the movement of the Holy Spirit within you, I strongly urge you to make a decision today. This is a decision that will follow you through the rest of eternity. Eternity. Where do you want to spend eternity? Do you want to spend eternity in the arms of God or in everlasting damnation. You decide. Place your sins here. Accept the gift of salvation and experience the love of Jesus Christ. You see, there's no judgment now, only salvation. Amen, and may God bless you. If you made a decision today or would like us to pray for you, please send that email to ministry at christ-lives.org. That concludes our lesson for today. Thank you.